Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs from Future Tech Podcast, Around the Corner, Almost Here Technology. And today I'm talking with uh, Digital Catapult, the company, uh, Sam Davies. Sam, how are you doing? Can you hear me okay? I can indeed. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, I know you're over in the UK, so it's uh, it's getting into the evening, so thank you for doing this. Uh, no um, yeah, Sam, could you um, would you mind giving listeners a brief overview of what Digital Catapult does? Sure. So the Digital Catapult, we are an applied research and innovation center, uh, primarily based in London in the UK, but with regional centers uh, throughout the rest of the UK. So at the Digital Catapult, we're part of what's called the Catapult Network. So this has been set up um, in part funded by the UK government to try and uh, speed up innovation and technical adoption in a number of key areas. So, for example, there's a catapult looking at high-value manufacturing, so looking at new manufacturing techniques. There's a catapult looking at renewable energy, another one looking at future cities planning, transport systems, cell therapy. And at the digital catapult, we primarily focus more on computer science-related problems and uh, computer science-related technologies. So we are... Sorry. Okay, I was just I was just clearing my throat. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so we are completely not for profit. We're completely neutral, and our only sort of main goal is to try and boost the adoption of technologies for UK SMEs and industry to try and give them a real boost um, within mm. key areas. So okay. we primarily focus on four key technology areas, which are AI and machine learning. Um, Immersive, so VR and AR, IoT, so sort of the whole world of Internet of Things, and also the networks which they run on, so 5G networks, next generation um, uh, cell phone networks, and also looking at low-power wide area networks. And then uh, sort of the technical area I work, which is, it's kind of called, it's called data-driven, but we're looking at blockchain, smart contracts, security, personal data. So how those, how technologies within those areas can be used. And then on top of that, we've got three key industrial areas which we focus on. So we're looking at uh, digital health and well-being, digital manufacturing, and then the area which I primarily sit in, um, creative industries as well. well. You guys are involved in a lot. Um, is the word catapult uh, common over in the UK? Here, you know, you have incubators, you have startups, you have angel investing, et cetera. So is catapult um, a word that you guys coined, or is it a typical word yeah, or used over there? Sort of it's, it's to slightly different yourself. So we're, we're not really an incubator. We're, you know, we're not angel investing. We don't invest at all. Um, it's to try and sort of distinguish us that we are there, sort of the idea being we try and catapult companies, catapult technology, um, and just, just give it that, that sort of little push, which is sometimes needed. Um, we work really closely with lots of SMEs, with startups, with academia, um, with other research centres, um, both in the UK and across Europe, to, to try and sort of speed up the adoption um, of, of of this technology. 
Hmm, okay. Yeah, so let's go over a couple of um, your favorites that you worked on and, you know, whatever reason why is why. But you know, tell me about the ones that you thought were most interesting, most exciting, and how what your involvement was in them. Sure. So one of the projects which I'm primarily involved in is using blockchain and smart contracts. So this is, um, I think, yeah, this whole area is an absolutely fascinating uh, technology. I think it's massively hyped. It's got lots of people jumping on various bandwagons. But I do personally honestly believe it has the potential to be phenomenally disruptive. If you look at all of the research, if you look at everything that's occurring in the fintech sector, the money, the resources, the research that's um, going on over there, it's phenomenal. And it's really clear that those guys have identified this as something that they need to get to grips with. At the Catapult, we've looked at that. We've realized there's a huge amount of resources being plowed into fintech. So we're looking at how we can use blockchain and smart contracts in other industries. One of the main areas that we're looking is around IP assembly and IP protection within the creative industries. So we've teamed up with an organization called the UK Games Fund to create a prototype which allows game developers, um, teams or companies to create um, a computer game or other, other projects along those lines, um, okay. but then to track all IP within the game through smart contracts to run the company, to run the governance structure, the shares, the voting, any equity, to have all of that handled via smart contracts. So the UK Games Fund are a um, community interest company. So again, another not-for-profit who are really trying to help low-level game development within the UK. They've run a project called Transfuser, which is for graduate development teams to basically build a build a computer game, work together um, with the aim to try and actually sell this. And there's prizes for successful developments. And so we've got a, pro, a, um, a prototype that we've built with those guys where we've got about 20 teams um, who are using our system. And so alongside them actually programming and making the game, all the artwork, the music, the audio, everything that goes around the, you know, a, a professional game development project. They're actually running their companies and they're running uh, the, sorry, they're tracking the IP of that um, using our smart contract system. Uh, this is a huge amount of fun. It's a cracking project to not only see how the technical side of things work, but also to see how this actually works from, from their point of view. You know, are these game developers just, you know, is it, is it useful for them? Um, is it something that, 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 that will actually be of, of benefit? And what we found is that it's, it's really useful because it allows them to have sort of the same kind of governance and legal protection they would have if they set up, say, a actually you know, a, a standard company limited by guarantee. But without that uh, investment, you know, you don't have to get the legal advice. You don't actually have to go down to Companies House in the UK to set something up. You can just do it from a few clicks of the button of a mouse. So we've had that running since just before Christmas. And we're now looking to massively extend that um, that project with a, an end goal to try and make it open source so that anyone who is looking to do some kind of creative collaboration um, with a group of other people, they can use this just to preliminary track and mark any equity, any IP, or any um, any shares within the company which they're creating. Interesting. Okay. Any um, <clears throat> any other projects that you think you know were really interesting? Maybe ones where you know, your role was uh, unexpected or you know had a huge impact. 
Um, well, another project which we've just started up, which I think has got fantastic potential, is um, it's an EU-funded research project called Synchronicity. Um, the goal of the project is to look at um, IoT um, marketplaces. So how uh, different cities, so there are seven cities um, within Europe who are part of this project, and it's looking at how they can just create an ecosystem to allow different organizations to share, buy, sell, and use IoT data for services within those cities. Um, and the role that we've got in that is to see how we can use blockchain for that. So a while back, we had um, a huge amount of fun um, creating basically just a prototype to see how well we could use the Ethereum blockchain on Raspberry Pis for IoT. And we just had a, a pretty small-scale prototype set up where we had a bunch of um, IoT sensors, we had a bunch of slightly larger servers and a bunch of different clients. And the um, mm -hmm. IoT sensors, every server, they had some really basic intelligence in them. Um, and so every software, when these sensors decided that they had a bit of information from data, which was interesting, uh, they would work out the value of that and how interesting it was. They packaged it up and then um, set up an auction, which other devices could then bid for um, and try and win access for. And all of this was handled using, using Ethereum-based smart contracts. So that was a real interesting starting point for us in the synchronicity project. So we're now looking to see how we can extend that. Because, I mean, the, um, the prototype that we were building, it was small scale, it was running in the office, just to see, you know, how, what's it like getting Ethereum running on a Raspberry Pi? Is, you know, what sort of okay. protocols do you need? How can you handle the data purchasing? And all of that kind of stuff, just to see if it worked. Um, so we're now looking to push that out for a far, far larger scale to actually get it running in, um, in actual cities. You know, what's funny is I've heard a lot about Ethereum and smart contracts and everything, but I haven't heard people actually programming them and running them and having them work or not work and you know testing them out in the wild. So you're saying you got to that point with Ethereum and what you know? Yeah, what, well, I mean, if so, what did you guys notice? What was the good and the bad? Um, well, uh, yes. I mean, that's one of the things that's sort of very keen on is that, as you're saying, a lot of people are sort of talking about it, and there's a huge, huge amount of interest in this. But we're very interested just to actually crack on and see what we can build, see what we can get running, see what the pros are, see what the cons are. Um, because Ethereum is great. It's got some fantastic. I mean, the, the the programming language for smart contracts is is great. It's it's really comprehensive. You can do some really really clever things with it. Um, but then there are some slight issues around it. I mean, there was the DAO, um, not hack, but the DAO. The issue with the DAO, where a huge amount of equity was taken out of it by a, you know, a, un, unexpected usage of the code. So that thing is, you know, absolutely fascinating. That's the whole thing about the, you know, code is law. So in the projects that we've written, so for example, with the UK Games Fund, if these are theoretical, you know, huge, large-scale um, companies which are running on these things, whatever's written in the code, that's actually tracking the equity. You know, people were working on these projects in return for shares within the game. Those shares were tracked using these smart projects. If somebody could get in and change those, if we'd incorrectly coded it, if we'd done anything like that, Obviously, you know, this isn't this isn't just sort of like a, a small scale coding area where you can you know, patch it up. You know, once these things are out and running, there's not a huge amount that you can actually do about it. Right, so it's right. really interesting, you know, trying to work through the uh, you know all, almost the the testing, making sure that it was correct, not just in a you know a, a, you know that we've got all the um, variable assignments correct and all of our functions perform, but actually sort of the semantics of the functions themselves, what we intended to do actually happened. Um, so we spent a huge amount of time working with um, VCs and, and lawyers to, to look at how we can actually translate what's in a sort of a standard paper contract into code. 
And I think that's sort of one of the key issues which we've really got to crack on with when we're looking at anything for sort of smart contracts or, you know, chain right. code if using Hyperledger or what have you, um, is it's, it's this translation from the traditional business models which you're using to smart contracts. Because if you look at how we've traditionally handled this, it's the, effectively the legal industry. You know, a huge number of fearsomely intelligent people are writing, are analyzing, are arguing, are debating what these standard contracts mean. We're now potentially with smart contracts, you can look to to remove those people from some instances. So we need to make sure that the code performs exactly as it should, that there's no ambiguity, that there isn't any any room for sort of disagreement. But then also one of the, the key interesting things we found out is that there's always going to be disagreement within these things. You need some kind of That's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah people will always... There's got to be a way yeah, for people to get involved and... Um, you know, if a contract doesn't go the way people want it to go, or a set of yeah. code, there's got to be an intervention, you know? Well, that's the thing. You know, when you have people working together, there are always going to be instances or there are always going to be problems arising which you just don't foresee. You can't put a bunch of if statements or for statements or any kind of fuzzy logic in to handle. Um, so I remember when we were doing the UK Games Fund work, we, we initially started that this was going to be completely decentralized. There was going to be no involvement in anyone any sort of human entity. These were things were going to run as decentralized distribute smart contracts and the company would be the code. Um, as we started building this, we didn't realize that that actually wasn't really going to happen. So we then had to work out how we could get um, an arbitrator system, sort of a dispute resolution service built into these systems. Um, and we were able to do that because Ethereum is really nice. It's got some sort of object-orientated properties so you're allowed to have sort of inheritance. So from that, we had the, um, the the UK Games Fund was created as a smart contract entity, which which had overall control over anything that happened within these companies, if needed be. Um, and then as the participants signed up to use this, uh, use this agreement, so to use this system, they agreed that in the case of any disputes, they um, were happy for the, the UK Games Fund to be able to sort of freeze accounts, to put any equity into escrow accounts, to become in reverse right. share transactions or anything like that, and that they would abide by you know, the rules of the, um, of the UK Games Fund, which, hmm. you know, that again opens up a really interesting um, area of discussion for future larger collaborations or larger usage of these, is that you need these independent arbitrators. Um, so that's sort of a you know, really interesting sort of new business model that could be taken. Um, and who would these arbitrators be? Could it be the judicial system? Could it be um, you know, almost accounting companies like KPMG or Ernst Young who actually fulfill this role at the moment? You know, they'll come in as independent auditors and inspect something. Could these guys now be the independent dispute resolution services or the independent arbitrators within a smart contract. There's a really interesting area sort of of the business process and the technical side of things to have a look at. I guess in the future you'd have um, a position that's specialized in evaluating and arbitrating smart contracts. It'll probably evolve into its own um, type of specialty, you know? Mm. Well, I think that's, there's a couple of specialties, like saying that one being the the arbitration service being a sort of a trusted independent yeah. authority within them, but then there'll also be services in validating smart contracts, ensuring that they do what right. they're meant to do, not from a technical point of view, but from sort of a business logic point of view, from a governance standpoint as well. Yeah, and I guess there probably could be an insurance-based component. You know, if a smart contract uh, has unintended consequences, you could be insured against the bad effects, etc. But 
I see it probably as a whole mm-hmm. ecosystem that'll spring up around it. There'll be, uh, you know, solicitors or <clears throat> lawyers that'll be trained specifically to work with them, arbitrators, oh, insurance, yeah, all that stuff. Ex- you know? Completely, exactly. Um, you know, you quite quite often you'll hear people talking that these things could put, you know, completely revolutionise insurance, but people have work happy. Don't think at all. Exactly as you're saying, it will just require people to to slightly retrain, you know, to to start working on these things in a slightly different different area to be, you know, legal specialties within smart contracts. As you're saying, for any kind of insurance or reinsurance of smart contracts, that that will be a, a really yeah. interesting industry to see how that springs up. Hmm. Okay. Uh, maybe. Um... One more example of a project you're working on that uh, maybe maybe a different kind of example, one that maybe didn't work, but uh, you thought opened up your mind to uh, something you never knew, you know, something strange or unusual. Um, that yeah. So I mean, I've only been at the Catapult now for a year, and these are the two projects which I've primarily worked on, um, okay. um, which have been really really interesting. We have recently finished a um, collaborative project around um, copyright in the OPP, which was an absolutely fantastic project where we built a a really, really interesting um, distributed platform to allow people to try and identify um, the copyright of of an image online. So that the idea of that being sort of trying to out the marketplace. Um, and that's been a, a great project. So some really good codes being developed, and we've worked in conjunction with the Copyright Hub Foundation, um, and they've now taken that project on. So that's really, really good from the from sort of our point of view that we have been able to sort of the work of industry. We've built this great code base, which is now being taken forward by the Copyright Hub Foundation themselves and um, and developed that way. Okay. All right. So in general, when um an organization wants to work with you, what are some of the parameters, um, you know, cost, number of hours of involvement, um, you know, do you take a stake in the company, you know, those kinds of things? Um, It really varies on how we work with people. So we primarily um, are are there to help UK SMEs. Um, And so we do that sort of in in various different ways. So we've got some kind of digital challenges, which we, which we, which we help people out with. Um, we run various events for them, as well. So we have some. We do call it a sort of corporate R and D and commercial uh, ventures, um, where we team up with a large scale, large scale um, corporation who may have some R and D or some some research challenges, and then we will run events with them and with um, a bunch of uh, carefully selected UK SMEs. So that we can try and try and create sort of some really interesting research partnerships between those two. Um, we have a fantastic central London uh, location just in King's Cross, um, where we have a huge number of people coming through um, day in day out for various events. You know, from sea level ministers, um, innovation officers from various companies, and so we have um, digital showcases within there. So you know, again, we'll sort of pick. Um, some really interesting companies who can who can showcase and demo the work which they're doing, um, okay. which is really good way of sort of increasing their exposure. Um, and then also we do a lot of collaborative research projects. So um, in the UK we can get um, EU funding for collaborative research projects, or we can apply to the UK government themselves for funding for research. And so we will work with you know one or, or more uh, SMEs or academic partners. 
um, to try and help them solve a, a problem um, which is mm. pertinent and relevant to their business, but will also be able to be used in the wider the wider world. So that at the Digital Catapult, you know, we will we will take on some research challenges, and then we will completely open source all of the results which we find out, so that anybody who's interested, anybody who has that problem, can use that. Hmm. So, <coughs> essentially, you help um, UK companies get access to funding and resources and talent and and grants and all these things that they otherwise couldn't. So you're you, you're an, an assist. The companies that you find of value to uh, to move their projects forward. Yes, yeah, um, and also we have uh, core funding ourselves to take on um, research projects which could be too large or too complex for you know one one small company to take on themselves. So we can do the research in that, and we can try and bring people together um, in order mm. to, to sort of to push that research to help it coalesce, um, bringing academic and industry partners together to to really sort of make make something useful happen. Any um, sister organizations or similar ones in other countries that you know of that you work yeah, with? Yeah, so there's um, uh, the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany do uh, of a far, far bigger scale than we are. Um, those guys do like oh, cracking stuff, you know, MP3, they're brilliant. Um, and then there's iMinds in Belgium as well, who, again, we've all got this sort of... <laughs> set up by, by governments but not controlled by the government to, to help help research in various industries. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what projects that you'll take on and which ones you think uh, would not be of interest? Like how do you steer what uh, you're going to get involved in? Who decides that? Well, we've just had a, um, a, a big strategy refresh within the Catapult which has been really, really interesting. Um, and it's sort of helped define what technologies that we want to work in and also what industries. So we've got those kind of those, those key areas which, which we want to work in, which we've got the in-house expertise. Because we've got a really you know, a cracking engineering research team. We've got fantastic marketing. We've got you know, whole, whole back office staff that you need for these things. Um, so what we need to do is to make sure that primarily that we, you know in in the catapult itself we've got the resources uh, to help out that that will be useful for, and also that the project being proposed fits within one of our sort of industry areas and uh, technology layers as well, and that the end result will actually really benefit not just you know one or two companies but but a whole industry itself. So for example, no. with the smart contract work we're doing with the UK Games Fund. We're working with the UK Games Fund to do a prototype with that one company. But all of the technology that we're developing, everything that we're learning, can really help a lot of other companies who are working, you know, with this idea set in music or with in other creative industries. So we then go and, you know, chat to those guys, show them what tell them what we've done, see if there's anything from what we've already built that would be useful for them. Um, and then try and try and just help the industry as a whole rather than just a few specific companies. I would guess that um, you know once companies hear about you, everyone would want to get your help. Do you, do you ever suffer um, you know from too many companies asking for help, or you know ones that you think are just trying to uh, get get them assistance when it's not warranted? Um, yeah, I mean you know there are some instances where you know what a company wants to do. If it 
doesn't particularly fall within our remit. Um, but that's why having the Catapult network is really fantastic because, you know, if somebody comes to us with a, a predominantly energy-related challenge or an energy-related project they want to work on, that's not something that falls within anything we do. But there is an energy mm. systems catapult, so we would make an introduction to those guys. Um, okay. But I think, from, you know, because we have so many different catapults working, but it, it's, it's yeah, quite, quite good to pass people on that way. And how do uh, companies present? Do you have like formalized events throughout the year where it's like a showcase of a whole bunch of companies, or do they just drip in, you know, as they come? Um, yeah. Oh, we've got various different ways of working. So we have loads of things. We have um, open calls where we publish on our website sort of challenges or technologies that we uh, are interested in and invite companies to apply. As I was saying, we do uh, pit stops where we team up with large large organisations with a, a research challenge, and then again we'll we'll help them define what they want to achieve, um, and then we'll put open calls out for um, companies to come and work with us, or we've built up um, a huge network of companies that we know. So just going out networking, meeting people, people who know people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so we'll be able to approach companies that we've met and see if they want to to get stuck in. Um, we put lots of different events on, so meetups, um, coffee mornings, um, a huge range of different events where people can just come in and see what we're doing in the Casper, chat to sort of the, the researchers, chat to technologists, and you know, see if there's any potentials for collaboration. Um, mm. And then we've got projects like, you know, the UK Games Fund project that we're working, you know, for the next generation of that, we're now actively seeking other organisations who are working within a similar industry in the UK to come and, come and help us out with that. So there's a huge amount that um, people can do. And we also do a load of work with um, the academics as well. So we have sort of researchers in residence, so we're able to um, uh, disseminate funding from the UK government to get people to come and work in the centre for six months um, on a research project, which wow. they may not necessarily be able to do in their traditional academic post position, you know, slightly tangential to what they're doing. Um, so that's sort of a brilliant. We've got some fantastic people working for us at the moment. and have had some cracking ones in the past, looking at really interesting um, topics and so yeah there's just loads of different ways to get stuck in yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you actually is the universities and the schools do you have interaction with them but you just answered that so that's great yeah. cool any um, expansion plans for this year or uh, other areas that you're going to be going into um, well, so immersive and virtual reality is um, a really really new area for us um, so we're rapidly building on what we can do in that area. Um, we've got some, some great staff now who are looking at it from a, a research point of view. And there's some really, really interesting um, some ideas which we have. So um, obviously with sort of virtual, virtual reality, it's not just restricted to you know, the work we do. Quite a few of the other catapults have got some cracking work that they're doing around VR and AR. Um, so it's looking sort of, you know, how can we have a really good partnership between them? Um, and that is an area that it's it's new. We're still forming what we want to do in that area, but it's going to be really exciting. Okay. Well, very good. Um, any other areas or questions you think we should cover that I left out? I try to be broad and, um, you know, capture a lot of what you guys are doing. So it's reading through the briefing notes. Um, no, I mean, I think if you're happy with what you've got, that sounds pretty good from... Well, yeah, that, I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal, and it's, it, I didn't even know that um, organizations like yours exist, you know, and that's, uh, I think it's a great mm -hmm. thing you guys are doing.
Um, yeah, it's sort of it's slightly behind behind the scenes, just because uh, we don't do a lot of consumer yeah. work. It's more sort of helping businesses. Yeah, so I mean, you reach out to the community quite a bit, but just in case for listeners, um, how can they, you know, talk to you about proposals? How can they get involved? You know, start a dialogue, uh, find out more about uh, what you guys do. Cool. Um, jump onto our website, um, and that's got a details of all the projects which we're currently doing. Um, more information on uh, the events which we're running and there are a whole bunch of ways to get in touch with um, any questions that you have and they will get filtered through to the right people in the organization who will get back to you. Yeah, and just for listeners again, so it's Sam Davies of Digital Catapult. Website is digitalcatapult.org.uk. So everyone has uh, Digitalcatapultcenter.org.uk. Oop. Center or centers? Uh, center. Okay. Well, that's why I yep. clarify. <laughs> Digitalcatapultcenter.org.uk. Very good. Okay. All right, Sam. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it was good. Cool. Really cool. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Sam. Very interesting. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.